Jesus went into the region of Caesarea Philippi. He asked his disciples, Who do people say that the Son of Man is? And they replied, Some say John the Baptist, others Elijah, still others Jeremiah or one of the prophets. Jesus said to them, But who do you say that I am? Simon Peter said in reply, You are the Christ, the Son of the living God. Jesus said to Peter in reply, Blessed are you, Simon, son of Jonah, for flesh and blood has not revealed this to you, but my heavenly Father. And so I say to you, you are Peter, and upon this rock I will build my church, and the gates of the netherworld shall not prevail against it. I will give you the keys to the kingdom of heaven. Whatever you bind on earth shall be bound in heaven, and whatever you loose on earth shall be loosed in heaven. Then Jesus strictly ordered his disciples to tell no one that he was the Christ. The Gospel of the Lord. Praise to you, Lord Jesus Christ. With all due respect to Peter and his primacy, I'd like to step a little bit in a different direction this morning. Since last week I promised that I would share a few words about uh, my time in Spain, and um, not as a travel lot, but hopefully as something that, uh, that uh, allows you to know what I was up to, and in a sense what you were up to, because I know that many of you were very much praying for me while I was there, and that you were very patient in my, with my absence for those weeks, and, and that you were holding me in your heart, and certainly I was holding you in my heart as I was there. So in a sense, um, that experience belongs to you as much as it does to me. So. I need to share a little bit about it. So um, having already walked 1,500 miles as a pilgrim, um, one of the things I learned is that it wouldn't have been possible to walk very many of those miles at all if it weren't for these wonderful people that God has placed along the, the pilgrim way through France and Spain and a little bit of Belgium as well. Each day you would meet somebody who would take you in and care for you and feed you very often and uh, set you on your way the next day. And those people were doing it mostly out of love, out of care for pilgrims, um, not for financial gain or economic gain or anything. It was just something they did out of the love of their heart. So um, having already walked plenty and not wanting to suffer yet again from blisters, heat, prostration, or tendonitis, I decided maybe this time around I should get on the other side of the pilgrim experience and be what they call in Spanish, hospitalero. Hospitalero is kind of the Spanish word for host or something like that, I guess. But it's, as you can tell, the root is hospitality or hospital, caring for people, welcoming them, receiving them along the way. 
And so I've um, been working on this actually for about a year and I have a friend, a very good friend in, in Spain who was trying to set things up for me and it, anyway all kinds of complications uh, happened to try and get this thing going and it wasn't really until about the day before I left and got on the plane that it finally became clear where I was going to be serving as hospitalero in Spain along the, along the Camino. As it turned out, that little place was called Granion. It's a small little village of about 300 people, almost all of them retired, so very few young people around. Uh, as with a lot of small towns in, in Europe, pretty much abandoned by the young people because agriculture no longer attracts them. And so I ended up in this little town called Granion. Landed in Madrid, took a day in Madrid, and then caught buses to uh, Burgos and then over to to Granion. And the nice thing about Granion was it was very small and the uh, refuge, or the Spanish word albergue for the pilgrims, was operated by the local parish priest. And it was located uh, inside, well, on an extension of the church. The church itself was 14th century church, the little place where we had our refuge, um, along with the stairs going up to it, the big stone stairs, was an addition, the bell tower, and an addition to the church from the 17th century. So, kind of a place rooted in history. It's a lovely place. The pastor, Don Jesus, Father Jesus, uh, received me well. He's a wonderful man. He spent a lot of his life in Ecuador as a missionary and then came home in his old age. He's now 72, 73, uh, to be closer to his family in his last years of ministry. So he's the pastor. I catch the bus, I arrive, uh, the bus leaves me off down on the highway, and it's a one kilometer climb up to the village, and so I'm dragging my 50 pound suitcase behind me, climbing up to get to the village. Um, I said, oh, just like old times, <laughs> except I'm dragging it, not carrying it on my back. And arrive, look for the church, find it, and lo and behold, the other three hospitaleros were already just outside. They were kind of not waiting for me, but they knew I was coming, and so here comes this gringo with his back, with his um, suitcase, and they said, you must be the new guy. So they had already been there for three or four days. I arrived a little bit late for the 15-day, the 14-day, two-week turn that we had uh, to care for the pilgrims in Granion. Anyway, um, so there was Carlos from Madrid, and there was Miguel from Valencia, and then there was this wonderful young lady from Slovenia named Spila. And she always explained her name to pronounce like this, Spila. And I said, okay. I said, okay, it's Sheila with a P instead of an H. <laughs> anyway, so they were wonderful. They welcomed me. I stayed with the pastor in his, his home down the street, and while well, they stayed actually in the, the refuge itself. And the typical day would begin uh, with breakfast at 6.30 and the pilgrims would be coming down in various stages of uh, disrepair or repair, um, packing their bags again and getting ready and we'd have coffee, really awful coffee. Um, cowboy coffee and Camino coffee are just about the same thing. So they would make it the night before, they just pour a bunch of grounds into a big, a big kettle and then they would boil it that night and then the next morning they'd heat it up again and then strain it, pour it into the, the thermos and that was coffee. It was enough to wake you up I guess. And uh, so then you would, after they finished their breakfast one by one, you'd have the little farewell, um, the despedida, they call it in Spanish, and you'd see them off and see them down the road never probably to see them again. And then after it we got the last of the pilgrims out the door from the night before. We would have our own little breakfast, which amounted to uh, 
fairly day-old bread and the awful coffee and maybe a little marmalade or something like that on top of it. And we would talk about who was going to do what because the first thing you had to do was clean the place from top to bottom. And it's really cleaning the place. And so that meant the showers and the bathrooms had to be washed down, every square inch of them. That was the worst job to get. Twice I got that job at the time I was there. And, uh, um, you know, I, I don't know, I'm sure all of you have cleaned bathrooms and showers before. Um, there's something about long hair that just is very, very annoying. <laughs> I get, can't get it out. <laughs> get stuck to everything. Um, one point I was down on my knees cleaning the toilets and one of the other, Carlos says, uh, um, are you used to cleaning toilets? And I said, well, it's good for priests every now and then to get down on their knees. <laughs> so, there I was. But anyway, one of the other jobs, the second worst job was all of the cracks in the place, in the floors and in the walls, had to be steamed because of the fear of bed bugs. Um, bed bugs are out there. We never had any, but you had to take all kinds of precautions. So we had this little vaporizer machine with kind of a gun on the end, and every crack you had to get down on your knees and steam every crack to make sure there were no, no bed bugs left behind by last, the previous night's pilgrims. And luckily, we never had any because they're, they're really awful. I guess if they start breeding in, your, in the cracks in the floor. Um, and then after cleaning up, um, I'd go over and had a little bit of quiet time, I'd go read the email, have a real coffee at the little bar across the street from the church. And at 10 o'clock or so, 9 o'clock, 10 o'clock, the, the early pilgrims are already coming through town, the ones that have not had too long a walk. And very few of them stayed. They would just keep on going. And then we'd get our chance to go get a shower and get cleaned up and be ready for the pilgrims who actually would end up staying. And they would start arriving about 11, 11.30, 12. And they would come in, especially if it had been a hot morning or a hot day, because there's no, there's no trees along the way, really. At this, at this stage of the way, it's right on the edge of what they call the Meseta, which is sort of like central Washington. You know, it's just it's flat and plain and shadeless and very hot. And so they would come in and they would just look bedraggled and they would be burdened and they'd be, they'd be slumped under their backpacks and, and um, sweating and dirty and tired and exhausted. And you would, if we were outside or we were upstairs already, we would welcome them in. They'd come climbing up. Our place was three floors up. You had to climb up the bell tower to get to the actual refuge. And they would show up and you'd sign them in and you'd tell them about the place and give them the schedule for the day and a couple of special things about the Granion Refuge was that first of all it was donativo, which many of them are because it's a parish, which means it's a donation, you give what you want to give. But the curious thing about Granion was that they had a little sign on the money box. First of all, the money box was always open and stuffed into the cover of that was a little sign that said, give what you're able, take what you need. So the pilgrims could actually take money out of the donation box as much as they could put money in. Um, we hedged that a little bit. If somebody left a 20 euro or something, Carlos would grab it and set it aside. But, or a 50 euro, even better. But the coins were left behind. Um, but it set the tone for the place, that this is a special place where we really um, trust the pilgrims, to trust them to share what they have, and if they need 
that we trust them to take what they need. And over the 20 years and the 60,000 pilgrims that have passed through that place, they've always had enough to care for the next day's pilgrims. They've always had enough to keep the place open and to feed whoever shows up. So this particular albergue or refuge in Granon, the parish one, is open 365 days a year, 24 hours a day. So pilgrims would say, well, what time do you lock the doors? We don't lock the doors. I mean, we can go out. So, well, in Granon, there's no place to go out, but <laughs> sure, whatever you want. You know, if you want to leave at 3 in the morning, be our guest. Um, if you want to go out on a, in Granon and spend the night drinking, well, if you're too drunk, don't come back. But, <laughs> but anyway, it was open and it was free and people were, it, that really set the tone for the place. The other thing that we did was that each evening at 7 p.m. we had a community dinner. And we, the Hospitaleros, always prepared the dinner, provided it free and had wine and fresher bread and um, always a big beautiful salad and then some kind of a pasta or beans or lentil dish to kind of give them the energy they would need for the next day. And um, that was always just a great evening. So, so the pilgrims would arrive, they'd take their showers and they'd start to kind of heal up and strengthen up and bloom again. It was like the dead flower, you know, that you see and when it's gotten too hot out. And then you give it a little bit of water and it starts to bloom again. And so in the afternoons, they would be you know, quietly tending their feet or taking naps or sleeping or writing in their journals or nowadays doing their Facebook stuff. And then about six o'clock we would get out the vegetables to start chopping for the salad and they would dive in and help with that. And, um, but always kind of very quiet. And that's one of my favorite time of the day because it was this sort of the healing time when they would slowly over a course of three or four hours kind of come back to life again. And then because it was a parish, a church albergue, we always had mass at 7 p.m. over in the big church, and it was the mass for the whole town. So we had all the little old ladies who would sing the same old little songs that we sing over here, the Spanish versions of them. And um, Father Jesus, after the first night, pretty much left it to me to do that. And um, he never preached, he never, after the, after the gospel, he never said anything, he just went to the next thing. But I started offering a little few words at the, after the gospel, because the readings were beautiful, and I, and I had already had pilgrims tell me, you know, especially those who didn't speak Spanish, how much they longed for a word or two um, to kind of help them along the way. And so I would give a little brief homily in Spanish and then a little brief homily to the pilgrims, especially in English, and they would just be lapping it up. The, the, the nice thing about Granon is that already they've been walking eight or nine days, so by this time they get to our place. They're exhausted, they're tired, they've already had their first battles with blisters, they may have the onset of tendonitis, they're kind of at that stage where they're shaking their fists at the heavens and saying, what are you doing to me, God, and, or what am I doing to myself? And so just those few little words at Mass were enough to, to brighten them. And of course, um, it was always a surprise when they would come into church and I would come walking out dressed like this and they said, Kevin, <laughs> you're, you're a priest. I said, yeah, sorry. <laughs> and actually, not sorry at all, but happy. Um, and, then, uh, and then we'd go have dinner. And if you had, especially if you had a, a lively Italian youth group from, uh, from somewhere in Italy, the dinner would just, 
they would start to sing, and the Italians would usually start with volare, you know, volare, ay, ay, whatever it is. Um, and that would just keep going. And by the time dinner was over, everyone was happy, everyone was joyful, everybody knew each other. There was this spirit of kind of family and community. And everybody, it seemed like, was healed at the dinner. It was like this was the moment where they really, really, really came back to life again and became their best selves. It was really lovely to, to witness uh, day after day after day out there. And um, then, uh, then we had something kind of special. We would say, okay, after dinner, first of all, we're going to wash the dishes. We have a special way of doing that. We're gonna, everybody's going to contribute to washing the dishes. And we'd bring out these big tubs of, of soapy water and clear water, and they would all line up, and they would, they would be sort of like a, a, a Model T uh, line or something, and the dishes would all go back into the place. It was all over in 15 or 20 minutes. And then we say, if you want to come, if you'd like to join us, we would like to lead you into the choir loft of the church, this beautiful 14th century church, and have a little time of quiet <clears throat> reflection and a little bit of prayer. You don't have to come, but if you'd like to join us, we will, you're most welcome to do so. So we'd lead them into the dark church in the choir loft in the back up above. And the church had this beautiful 14th century retablo behind the altar. It's a big, beautiful wood carving most of it in, with, with gold leaf and a multitude of statues are, uh, adorning it. And we'd light that up from behind. It was just, that was the only thing that was lit, except for a little candle. And then we would give them the little instructions. So this is an opportunity to just kind of quietly reflect. When you receive the candle into your hands, which we're going to pass around to everybody, you can hold it in quiet and silence, if you wish. Or if you wish to speak, um, you can say a prayer, you can give thanks, you can share a little story from the day, some moment that touched you, whatever you would like to do. In your own language, of course. And so the candle would start making its way around the choir loft and person after person, sometimes quiet, sometimes silence. Sometimes beautiful little prayers would be offered. And usually by the time we got about halfway through, um, People were crying. <laughs> it's like they're so exhausted, you know. And finally, they have this moment of quiet and rest and reflection and prayer in the midst of the the their their pilgrim experience. And they were just they would just kind of melt under that. And then after everybody had had their opportunity to pray or to say something or to give thanks or to share a little story, love from the day that they'd experienced some kindness. Then we would all gather together and hold hands and pray, each of us in our own language together, the Lord's Prayer, our Father. And it was so beautiful because it was done gently. It was nobody was like, our Father who art in heaven. It was just gentle. And everybody in their own language. So Spanish, Italian, French, English, German, Dutch, Danish, Polish, Slovenian, all kinds of different languages. And it just made this beautiful sound, this murmur of prayer uh, with all these words molding and melding together into this beautiful thing. And it always, almost always ended together. And the one word that we all said together that everybody knew was finally, Amen. Amen. It was just lovely. And then we'd say, okay, bye-bye, good night, get a good sleep, see you in the morning. And it was just great. And um, 
So, a um, couple other things that happened just to sign it, give you a little bit of a picture of what, what this whole experience was like on a more individual basis. So one night, we had a wonderfully talented lady who had arrived, and she was really good with the guitar, and she was one of these people who knows how to animate. She's probably a choir director or something. And so after dinner, before we went to the prayer, she got the guitar, and she started asking people to sing songs, to sing songs in their own language, and she would accompany them. She knew everything, it seemed like. So a couple of people did, and French and Spanish and Italian, and finally she looked at me and said, English? And I said, oh no. So I thought, well, what do I sing? What do I sing? What do we sing? And so I said, well, how about Amazing Grace? Because everybody knows Amazing Grace. Well, a few of us knew Amazing Grace. So we sang Amazing Grace. And we had this one particular guy in the group. Um, every night we had one strange person. So there's these people who kind of live on the Camino and go from, from refuge to refuge, especially the free ones. And they just sort of live that way their whole lives. Um, so they had one of these characters in the group. And see, at the end of Amazing Grace, and I had a number of people singing along, which was really beautiful. Um, he says, what does that mean? What do the words mean? So I tried to translate the words into Spanish, you know. La gracia maravillosa, or algo, something like that. And, you know, of course, it's very Christian, very much related to God and grace and stuff. And after I gave my little explanation, he says, that's stupid, that's dumb, there's no God, there's no God. The only thing is us here, and, here. and he gets agitated, and he's getting very excited, and everybody's going, oh God, and especially me, I'm going, oh God save us. <laughs> here we are, one of these guys, you know, and he was really, maybe had a little drink or two, I don't know, uh, had, had a little too much wine at dinner. But, and I would, you know, I was like, I'm annoyed, a lot of the people are annoyed, but the lady with the guitar, she says to him, come, sing us a song that you know. And so he kind of looked and stopped. And he got up and he started singing. And suddenly he was a different person. He was gentle and he was loving and he was kind as he sang this beautiful song. And I said, ah, grace, <laughs> amazing grace. Um, the other thing that happened is um, at the end of Mass each evening, uh, there's always the traditional blessing of the pilgrims. It's a beautiful prayer that's very, very old, goes back centuries really, that's used along the way. And um, Father Jesus always just did it from the altar, but I would go down below and I'd do the blessing of the pilgrims. They'd all come forward, the ones who were walking. And, um, and I had made, before I left, I wasn't sure how I was going to use them, these little bookmarks, had printed these little bookmarks with a prayer on the front and my address on the back. Well, Sacred Heart Parish address. And um, so at the end of the blessing, I said, I have a little gift for you. And it's a little card. On one side is a little prayer. And on the other side is my address in the United States. So when I'm back home, um, and all this seems like a dream, and you seem like a dream, I want you to do something for me. When you get to Compostela, when you arrive in Compostela, please say a little prayer for me, if you would. But the second thing, please go get a postcard and mail me a postcard. So that when this seems like a dream, and you seem like a dream, your postcards will remind me that it was real, and that you are real. So now, two days ago, three days ago, got two postcards in the mail. They're starting to come. And this one is from this wonderful young man 
His name is Will. He's American. And he, uh, he's a doctor, medical doctor, and he spends half of his life uh, every year uh, working in Haiti, building up small little clinics, trying to teach people how to take care of themselves medically and dire poverty. And um, so that's really his, his work, at least half of his life, his beautiful things. Anyway, he uh, and we became pretty good friends in the short time we had together because he was, he was telling me, he said, you know, once he f figured out I was a priest, he came to Mass and everything, and he was telling me afterwards, he said, you know, I have a really good friend who's a priest, and he's an older fellow, and uh, he brought me back to the church. He said he was a wonderful guy, and he's like a father to me, and I love him so much for what he's done for me. And he said he's the, uh, he's the chaplain at Brown University in Rhode Island. And I said, Henry Boda. <laughs> and he says, how do you know? And I said, well, we went to school together in Belgium, and he's a great friend of mine, and we continue to visit. So we took pictures and sent pictures to Father Henry. But anyway, his card is one of the first to come in, so I'll end with this. Hola, Padre. I made it to Santiago and will soon be off to Finisterre in Musia, but not before sending you a note thanking you for the wonderful hospitality you shared um, with us in Granion. I walk this Camino as a way to give thanks to God for the life I have and the incredible people who walk in it every day. I now count you among those, those people I am blessed to know. Wishing you peace and happiness always with love, Will Giordano Perez. So, my first card. <laughs> and um, all of it is a reminder that that beautiful hymn that we sing so often is really true. Amazing grace, how sweet thou art. <laughs>